Welcome to the Digital Transformation of Business podcast, brought to you by Hughes On. Welcome, everybody. We're back in the studio after a bit of a hiatus. My name is Chuck, and with me, I've got Curtis Campbell. Hey, how you doing? And Mike Tippetts. Hello, everybody. So we wanted to gather again now that the dust has kind of settled from the pandemic and people are getting vaccinated. We want to get back into the studio and record another episode. And we have a topic today that is near and dear to our hearts. Right, Mike? Yes, very much so. Very much so. (laughs) We're pulling from a couple of different articles. One of them from Forbes is called Creating a Newsroom Mentality in Corporate Communications. Essentially, it's how do you learn from the newsroom environment? How do you pull from that? How do you, uh, what lessons can you learn from there that you can apply to your communication strategy within your corporation? The other article, uh, Mike, you want to introduce that? Yeah, the other article was from a company called Globe One. They had a blog post from January of 2021. They talked about corporate newsrooms, the organizational foundation for successful communication. Yeah. So what in the world would it mean to be more like a newsroom within your internal communications department? I mean, to me, it means there's one word. It's agility, right? I mean, this article from Forbes, I love how it starts. And it's how just in the last year, the role of corporate communications has really, really changed. The article states it's like for years, corporate communications was like a short order cook. And requests would come in, you'd fulfill them, and the team would move on to the next order. Well, that's not really the way it works now. And they say in this thing, it's like to be an effective corporate communications team, it has to be at the tip of the spear. They have to get a seat at the adult table. They're sitting there at the top level of the strategy meetings and how organization is going to deal with this and better serve their customers. Yeah, I think corporate communications, the importance has already been addressed. We've talked about it a number of times on the podcast. Um, But I think that example that you gave, Curtis, of moving away from reactionary to being proactive is where the real crux of this discussion is. You can't imagine a television newsroom that wakes up in the morning and says, well, we'll see what people need today. They already have a plan, and that plan includes content that they've prepped for and the ability, the agility, as you said, to react to a snowstorm or an event that occurs unplanned that they need to bring to the audience. Yeah, the article says, this change of perspective and strategy forces communications professionals to rethink their role in the company and play the role of Batman rather than reverting solely to Robin status. Yeah, they need to stand up. We need to say, hey, I want to communicate information to the audience, whether, like I said, employees or external. I want to communicate. I need content. And another thing that they bring out in there is that it can't just be, well, we have a corporate communications team of so many people. It's not their job alone to create the content or come up with the ideas. It's their job to refine it, polish it, and deliver it. But if you build an environment where your corporate communications team is doing great work and really impacting the business, you're going to have organizations, groups, teams within the company lining up to say, hey, I want you to talk about us. I want you to do a story on me. I have a news item that's relevant. So if PR and communications drive strategy in this scenario, what kind of strategy were you talking about? Is this something that covers all strategies or it's simply a communication strategy or does it go beyond that? Well, I think the reality is PR and communications will control and drive 
the communications strategy. I think they're not necessarily going to drive the strategy of the organization, the company, or the agency, or what have you. They're going to drive the communication strategy. Now, if somebody comes to and says, okay, we're going to modify our corporate strategy, whether that means a new product line, an additional product line, an alternative, a change, whatever, the corporate communications and PR people need to be in there and saying, okay, if you're going to do that, then the following things need to occur in the communications aspect of that. And that's how they sit at the table. They're in the conversation. They don't hear about it later on. They're at the table helping form that strategy And, you know, and if depending on the way a company is organized and whatnot, that communications team, they may be a vehicle for feedback, right? You know, hey, we want to change. Well, have you tested your idea externally? Let us communicate something to the audience or to the targets, and then we'll accept back information and bring that back in and find out. You know, in technology, we're always guilty. All of us are guilty of creating solutions for problems that don't exist, because, oh, yeah. we, you know, we thought of it, it as a great idea. <laughs> but if you have a good active communications team and that's how you do it, maybe some organizations might turn to their product management team or something. But the communications team, we can put a message out, we can accept feedback back and we can bring that to you. And I'm sure there are uh, things that are discussed, new policy, new product line, new strategy of some sort that that is a PR nightmare that could be disastrous for the PR department. And having the seat at the table can really um, help that when, when nobody's intentionally putting them in that position, but they have that different mindset where they can come and say, hey, well, actually, if we tweak it a little bit, it'll actually be really favorable for our public image and then our employees are going to benefit more if we do it like this. Completely agree. Well, I was just going to say, we've seen that even internally here at our organization, right? I mean, we have these monthly town halls that are done by the general management of the entire company, which is really, really cool to be forward thinking and being having that on your calendar, knowing that there's going to be some update. But during, especially in the beginning stages of this pandemic, who was usually one of the first people that was presenting? It was the head of HR for the entire company, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, she's always had or he's always had a seat at the adult table, but how much of a voice has that person had? And the organization knew that employees had concerns. They didn't know what was going on. No one had any idea. And so that team of HR professionals had to obviously listen to what the news is saying, listen to what the CDC is saying, and be able to make reassure people that we are making changes in the organization that are not reactionary, that they're proactive. Yeah, the whole reason people get into communications is because they're good communicators or they like communicating. Uh, I may have a good idea and it may be a good idea, but the ability to express that and share that in a way that passes along to others is a strength and a capability that a communications team has. So I think what you're saying is exactly right. Let them help you from the start. And that kind of moves into another piece that I took out of, of these articles, and that is the art of storytelling. Every morning in a newsroom, and I say, you know, morning, maybe it's night before, whatever, but they sit down and they say, okay, we want to talk about the state of the roads in our community. Well, they're not just going to go up there and say, yes, there was a study done and there's this many potholes per square mile or whatever. They're going to tell it in terms of commuters or in terms of soccer parents taking their kids to a game and how this impacts them for better or for worse. They're going to talk about the roads in terms of a story. And I think oftentimes business leaders, technology leadership and so forth, we just want to talk about the item and we don't think to put it into context and a good storyteller will make that happen. 
yeah, often we assume that the employee is going to obtain, receive, absorb, internalize the communication because it's a part of their job, it, because it comes from their boss or their boss's boss. Sometimes we assume as management that the employee is going to uh, partake of the communication regardless. However, we learn from this strategy that kind of the idea of ratings, where the newsroom will go under, the, the news station, the news program will fall apart if the viewers aren't showing up, if they're not tuning in. So they've got an incentive to make it interesting, put the news pieces into a story, make it something that people want to come back to the next night and the next night and the next night. Whereas the corporation might not have that mentality, they might not have that incentive, they might not even know or think of that as a possibility. In just wrong from another resource, there was an ebook that we distributed called The Art of Storytelling. So there's really four key areas of a good story that need to be part of the communications. And that is, it needs to be relatable, it needs to be relevant, it needs to be emotional, it needs to be engaging. If it hits one of those four things, yeah, it probably will still work, but it, we should be aiming to hit all four. Another thing that I think is important in that is trust. You watch the news channel each night or on any source, not just on television, but whether you choose to read a particular news app or subscribe to a news feed or what have you, but you do it on the one that you trust. When my parents were watching television and I was younger, they went to a certain program every night at 6 o'clock to get the news because that anchor or anchors had developed a, a level of trust. I think we need to have the, the corporate co communications and PR department, they need to establish that same level of trust. The employees are going to say, you know, I want to hear what they have to say because I believe that they have my best interest and they're trying to help me do my job or the customer. They're trying to help me be better. Wasn't it Walter Cronkite that people said was the most trusted man in America? Yep. And that plays around to being able to deliver information in a open and non-biased way, you have got to be believable. You have got to be, you know, if somebody says, well, every time they do one of these reports or one of these programs or whatever for our company, all it is is just unrealistic cheerleading. No, it's facts, it's information. Of course, we want to make you glad you work here. Of course, we want to make you positive about our future. But we're going to do it in a way that you go, oh, okay, yeah, that I didn't know that. That makes me feel better or that makes me gives me ideas on how I can do things. The One of the articles says that the common motto amongst TV stations is coverage you can count on. And he says that that should be the motto in your corporate communication. Yeah, and I would add that other places, the, the motto is news that you can use. I think the same thing's true. You ought to be focusing on things that are relevant to the audience that you're trying to impact. You know your audience, you know it well, and you, and you think maybe if I list out 100 things that are really, really, really meaningful, they're going to absorb all 100 and they're going to walk away much better than they were before. But the reality is that I'm the one that thinks those things are meaningful. As a, an executive, I'm the one that really wants to convey the importance of X, Y, and Z to the employees. When a good storyteller might do a better job at it, telling them some of the same things, maybe fewer things, but in a more entertaining way, in a way that they're going to respond to better. And at the end of the day, if you were to somehow quantify it, you were able to count how effective one strategy is versus the other, I would venture to say that the storytelling is going to get more have more effect, more positive effect than the other.
the other thing too that we deal with today, you know, again, going back to my parents, there was one place they went, well, place and a half, right? There was the radio and there was television. Now, I mean, what do we have? 25 different ways we can get information on a daily At basis, least, yeah. you know? A solid corporate communications plan and team, they have to understand all of the different ways that they can communicate and what stories are appropriate for what channels. The last piece that I'd bring up in all of this is in order to pull this off, you don't need to have a corporate communications department that has 75 people and that has copywriters and that has videographers and that has recording engineers and has all these different things. You just need to organize. And at the top of it, you both talked about agility and the ability to react, plan. If you have a corporate communications team of one or if you have a corporate communications team of four or five you need to sit down and say, okay, on a daily, weekly, whatever the cadence is, we're going to deliver three stories, five stories. You decide. We're going to deliver 10 stories total. Two of them are going to be on the company podcast. Four of them are going to be on the intranet. Two of them are going to be on the company's uh, daily audio show, whatever the case may be. But you have to organize yourself and you have to put yourself under the same kind of a deadline pressure that a studio television newsroom would have. So you have to organize yourself and you can't, oh, you know, I got busy this afternoon, so we'll skip today and move on tomorrow. We find that right now, the three of us in this podcast. Yeah. We went into the quarantine period and we kind of put the we put the podcast on the shelf for a bit. And I think we, we made a mistake. I think we should have kept on talking and sharing our experiences and ideas. And, you know, we'll do better. But I think you have to establish a cadence and stick to it. And don't try to boil the ocean. I say this all the time to people with ideas. Don't try to produce a daily program if you don't have the amount of content, the people willing to give you content, and the support team around you to do it. It may have to be monthly. And, you know, the audience may only need it monthly. But whatever your cadence is, set your deadline, set your plan, and be able to deliver it, whether it's, you know, breaking news or planned programming. So there's a lot to be learned from this metaphor of the, the newsroom. But I also think that you can take it literally and create a newsroom environment and broadcast however often, however it makes sense, whatever makes sense to your organization. We've seen some really great success with organizations that actually have an anchor woman and an anchor man in front of a camera or in front of two cameras who are presenting the news in a way that's familiar and impersonable and that's not for everybody. It's not mm -hmm. for every organization, but I'll tell you, I've seen some things in my previous employment that really, really stood out to me and to the other fellow employees. I worked for an entertainment company, and the communication strategy was largely print, heavy on the text, not super engaging, not super exciting. And then there was a weekly broadcast that was an anchorman and an anchorwoman on a nice set, you could tell that it was professionally done. They invested a little bit of money into uh, camera gear and audio equipment, and they produced a show and they said to themselves, okay, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it to where we get as many people watching as possible. We'll tell them useful information, but we're also going to do a couple things that are really key. We're going to tell the employees some things before we tell anybody else. They won't have to read about it on the blogs or on the internet, they will see it here first. We're going to take them behind the scenes. We're going to show them things that are really, really cool, things that they would be interested in, things that they would feel 
like it's a privilege to work here because they're on the inside track for for these things. We will tell them the things that are important, the the policy changes, the et cetera, the HR stuff. But we're going to make sure that we really get their attention enough that they're going to want to come back next week and the following week. We don't ever want to lose viewers because we know that if we lose them with this one broadcast, they may not ever come back. It's not something that they're required to do. They do it on their own free time. We're going to broadcast these things into the break rooms, but even then they're not going to necessarily pay attention. So there was a great amount of success in that example. And hey, if you've got an opportunity to put together a little kind of a newsroom, actual newsroom, it might be uh, effective. Oh, I think it's worth the investment. And candidly, we all know the investment is not tens of thousands of dollars. It's probably a few thousand dollars and you can do a really great, really great. Yeah, nowadays. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And, you know, the other thing that I would say is when you do do that, and I, I do agree with the idea that you kind of establish these one or two people as your your anchor people and whatnot. They need to be able to carry it off in a way that is, as you said, interesting and be able to balance entertainment with information. Right. Right. There's a strong temptation. I've been caught up in it in the past trying to do some of these things at you know, annual sales conferences and things where you start to take it and you go a little too far. You get a little, you know, you spend more time trying to be funny or entertaining and less time about being informative. There needs to be a balance in there. I, you don't want to be up there just reading off information, but you want to, you don't want to get too far afoot on the entertainment side of it. So you need to have somebody who's in control of it and can balance that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I go to just even our most recent sales conference where normally we would have probably all been together in Maryland and that because of all the current conditions wasn't possible along with virtually any other travel of any kind for the most part. But I saw the fact that you and this other anchor, quote unquote anchor, were able to pull it off even just using modern technologies like Zoom, right? Yeah. It was that type of thing where people wanted to listen to the message because it was relevant, it was engaging, it was exciting, and it impacted everyone's lives. Yeah, if you could eliminate the fluff, like they say, or all meat and no potatoes, where you can just boil it down to the most important, most interesting, and kind of get rid of all the other stuff and then provide that other less interesting stuff on another vehicle during you know, maybe email or some other place. I'm a big fan of taking an event and reducing it down to something that's really, really memorable. And all that other stuff that's not so memorable is accessible, but not at the forefront. Yeah. We learned quite a lot this year with the virtual sales conference. We took what was normally about a six and a half to seven hour day of presentations and scrolls it down to like 110 minutes. And I don't feel like we missed out on anything. We did some things that turned out to be really good. And then there were some suggestions that came in afterwards. We did a lot of work on the run up to ask the employee base, hey, you know, what are questions you'd like to see addressed? We also moved through it rather rapidly. If you think back, you know, it was bang, 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 people after people after people coming on and talking about relevant topics and so forth. But it moved through. And some of the feedback that we got was they liked that fast pace, but they would have liked to have seen some of the topics maybe be a little less of the person just kind of uh, talking through some details, but having some charts on screen and some different things to kind of balance that out a little bit. And I think that just spoke to our audience. They're used to that concept. Somebody talking to them that has PowerPoint charts and things that are supporting them. And 
but we got, generally speaking, we got very, very high marks from everyone around the world. So I think it's going to impact the way we go forward. And I think future podcast episodes, we're going to talk more about when is it appropriate to use virtual versus in-person, even when we get to the point that we can have in-person things again. And I think this year has taught us that the stigma that might have been around virtual and not being personable, I think that stigma is gone. Could be. Could be. Well, listen, I'd like to just put in a plug. Curtis mentioned one of them, but we have several ebooks on our website, business.hughes.com, and you go to the collateral and resource area on the, the website there. We have a lot of ebooks that are available that talk about some of these topics. Curtis mentioned the storytelling one. We also have one on creating brand ambassadors, and we have one on using video to communicate, and a lot of very, very appropriate to this corporate communication section. And I encourage the audience to go check those out. They're free to download. You don't even have to give us your name and email. Just download them, take a read. And if you have thoughts or whatnot, you can certainly give us a shout and let us know what you think. Yeah. If you don't mind, I've got um, a little story if we want to turn the clock back to 1985. And this might be a good way to wrap up this episode, but it illustrates a the point that we're trying to make, one of the points. I was a young boy. We had just moved to California, my family and I. We didn't have a house yet, so we lived in my great-grandmother's house. She wasn't there. I don't know where she was living, but we lived in her house, and my brother and I shared a a bedroom, and it was full of uh, my great-grandmother's stuff from years and years and years, and there were some weird noises. My father would come in to comfort us. My mother would come in to comfort us. They would say, you know, there's no monster in the closet. It's it's fine. It's just an old house. They explained how houses make noise and this and that. Never worked. We were still terrified. So one night we call my parents in. My father comes in and says, oh, there's something in your closet. Well, let me go check it out. He goes into this closet, shuts the door behind him, and just starts making the hugest racket. Starts banging <laughs> on the walls. He would open the closet door. He'd throw out a shoe, a scarf, my great-grandma's hat. He would shut the door again. He would stick his head out the door and make a panting noise. And he was um, he was fighting this monster for us. And then he came out and he said he took care of the monster and it'll never come back. And all of the things that they had told us previously were true. This is an old house. There are noises, this and that, humidity and creaking and and wood expanding and blah, 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 blah. None of it worked for that audience, which was five-year-old me and my four-year-old brother. But that little demonstration, as silly as it might have been, made all the world of difference. And so I think that sometimes the facts can be presented in a non-conventional way that are going to have far more effect than if they... Are, are just spelled out like uh, you, you might be tempted to do. I love that example because it really shows you and your little brother were able to relate to this thing and your dad, you created a memory that, what, 35 years later? Mm-hmm. Not to date you, but, you know, yeah. 35, 35 years later, years it still later. has an impact. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think of how some of the best motivational speakers are rock climbers or skydivers or you don't have to be an an adventurous person like with extreme sports or anything like that but it seems like the best presenters always have something that's personal to themselves that they bring to the audience and it's memorable it's a little bit of humor it doesn't have to be a comedy act it doesn't need to be stand-up comedy the whole time uh, to tip's point but if you have that balance of like comedy storytelling substance information facts 
kind of bundle it together in a way that you find that is most effective for that group of people? I mean, it's a home run. Rock climbers, skydivers, Air Force pilots, they come in and they start telling you some stuff that's really, really cool. You know, wow, what's it like to pull 5Gs in a you know fighter airplane? And then, oh, by the way, we always prepare. We always plan. We're always looking ahead. You should do the same thing in your daily lives. These kind of things. It's absolutely about storytelling and positioning it. Well, we thank everyone for uh, listening and joining us uh, once again on the podcast. We will be up and running and uh, release these podcast episodes more and more often. So uh, refer your friends and your family to this if you think it would be interesting to them. And thanks again.